Hey everyone, what's going on? Happy Friday. She runs ultras episode number 10. And so as promised, I'm going to share about my first full week of training. I mentioned before that I was going to kind of ease into running with some intervals. And that's what I did on my Tuesday and Thursday runs. But on Saturday, I decided to go a little off script and do five miles at race pace. (laughs) Now, a race pace workout is kind of where you calculate the pace at which you need to run or the pace that you want to sustain in order to hit a finishing time goal. So over the last few weeks, I've been thinking more and more about my big scary goal for 2021, which is racing 100 miles under 24 hours. And because I was doing all that thinking, I wanted to see just how far away I was from hitting that race pace. So that's what I did for my Saturday run. And (laughs) let me tell you, it was illuminating. (laughs) That's what I'm going to call it. First of all, where I live, there are hills everywhere. So typically I walk the first and last few bits of my runs to warm up and cool down. And I'm not talking like nice little rolling hills. I'm talking big ones with steep inclines. So in order to meet my objective, I needed to maintain between about 1020 and 1050 minutes per mile pace. And (laughs) well, I wasn't anywhere near that. And in fact, I was like two plus minutes above that pace. So yeah, (laughs) needless to say, I have a long way to go to get to where I need to be. But luckily, I have a really long time to get there. That that race, that 100 mile race isn't until October. So I'm not really worried right now. I mean, if we were much closer to the race date, I would be worried, but I've got tons of time. So it was a good way for me to just kind of test myself. I I wouldn't necessarily recommend that type of thing uh, to everybody, but this early in the season, um, it was a nice day. I was feeling really good physically, and I thought, you know, why the hell not? So the other thing that I'm experiencing is that kind of good soreness that you get from running and strength training. Not the kind that, you know, has you wanting to like cut your arms and legs off because they're so sore, but the kind that just kind of lets you know you're doing enough work to elicit some sort of change. Funny story, actually, on Wednesday this week, I did my own strength training workout in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I had to film a couple of just really short strength videos for clients and for a program that I'm launching. And in one of the videos, I forgot to add an exercise. So I had to go back and do it all over again. And so today my arms are really sore, like my biceps. I, like I almost have no control over my arms today. So as you can see, upper body strength is something I obviously have to work on. (laughs) So in addition to doing four runs last week, I also did two strength workouts and a bunch of mobility work. And when I say a bunch, I don't, I don't mean hours 
on end. I just mean that I did a few mini sessions, nothing more than like 15 minutes or so to help me stretch out and stay loose. I found it really helpful to incorporate this kind of short session into my days because it keeps the soreness from building to a level that like hinders my workouts. And it's also just a great way to help me stay in touch with how I'm feeling throughout my body and not let anything get to like a critical level. So I'll post an example of a dynamic warmup that I use quite frequently in the show notes if that's of interest to you and you can just, you know, give it a try. (laughs) So all totaled, I did about seven hours worth of training this past week, and that includes everything, my running, my strength workouts, indoor cycling, and mobility work. And during the weekdays, I spend about an hour to like an hour and a half on these things. And it's not all in one big chunk. Usually I'll break it up a little bit. But where I really pick up time is on the weekend with longer sessions. And this is going to come into play when the weather changes around here. Yes, I can hardly wait. (laughs) Because then I can spend more time training outdoors without literally freezing my ass off like on this morning's run. (laughs) I don't know why, but no matter what pants I wear when I'm running and it's like, oh gosh, this morning it was like under 20 degrees, the back outside corners of my legs get so cold. Not my lower legs, my upper legs. So like the back corner of my butt and my hamstrings. I don't know how to explain it. It's just like this weird trend that I'm noticing lately. I thought like the padding that I had back there would just help to insulate me, but apparently not. So (laughs) anyway, my training for this week is going well and I don't know that I'll always do a weekly training update, but I'll share as much as I can um, of what's going on to help you like in any way that it possibly can to like build your plan and get you to where you want to go. So the thing that I wanted to kind of touch on this week was the difference between pace training and zone training. So there's a lot of different ways that you can go about getting across the finish line for your race. And I like to use a mixture of different types to kind of keep things interesting. But what I mostly focus on is heart rate or heart rate zone training, especially in the early weeks and months of a plan. So heart rate training essentially just consists of figuring out what your max heart rate is. One of the basic calculations is just the number 220 minus your age, and then using that number to calculate your zones, one all the way up through five. And then using those to help you understand how hard you're working or not working. And the thing that's important for endurance athletes is zone two. So just for some context, let's run through the zones so that you can kind of understand what I'm talking about. So zone one is kind of considered really light work and it's 50 to 60% of your max heart rate. Zone two is more light, not super light, but light, 60 to 70%. Zone three is moderate, 70 to 80. Zone four is hard. Like now we're getting up into 80 to 90%. And zone five is super hard. This is kind of what I call redlining 90 to 100%. So an all out effort. 
Establishing a really good solid base in zone two helps you to find that pace that's what I call home base, something that you can feel really comfortable working in for a long time. And you might dip below or above for a little bit, but when you come back to zone two, it's like, ah, my happy place. (laughs) Home base or happy place, that's what I call it. Some people prefer to train kind of based on their pace, like I did for that five miles last Saturday. But instead of focusing on what their heart rate is doing, they'll go out knowing what pace they want to maintain throughout their whole run. And my opinion is that it's much easier to do this if you live someplace like Florida where there aren't any hills or if you're planning on racing like a fairly flat course. But when it comes to doing trail ultras, in my opinion, heart rate training is much more useful. But literally, you guys, everybody does it differently. So don't get too hung up on what I say or what you read. You really have to test it all out and see what works for you. So it's worth noting that I'm not only doing heart rate training because I'm also going to be working on pace training as well because obviously I I have to in order to achieve that specific outcome. So over the course of the year, I'll do pace work, some tempo runs, some hill repeats, I'll do some intervals or fart legs. I'll do it all because I don't think there's any disadvantages to switching it up. And if anything, I think it helps me to be a more well-rounded runner. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there because I know some people have only been exposed to like one way of training. And I know like a lot of people I see, they just go by their plan with the miles, meaning they just run whatever number of miles are on their plan. And every time they run, they try to do it as fast as possible. And I see that as a recipe for burnout, which, you know, is like very real. So the other thing that happens sometimes is that there's not enough variety in people's training plans. So kind of like I just talked about, which is another reason why I'm bringing this stuff up. If you're always trying to do your runs as fast as possible, you're not conditioning your body to operate efficiently. It's like driving your car, but always, you know, pedal to the metal, like redlining it. So it's only going to be a matter of time before the engine's going to give out or you're just going to flat out crash, right? So I just want to encourage you to think about new and different ways that you can kind of build variety into your training plan. So whether it's stuff that I've talked about or something different, right? If you're interested in this kind of stuff, hit me up via email and let me know. And maybe we'll kind of do a little bit of a deeper dive or I'll share some more about it in another episode. So while I was out on my run this morning, I was listening to a podcast and the discussion was about this idea of saying that you can't do something because you've never done it before. So I can't do something right now because I've never done it before in the past. And I've definitely said that to myself about stuff in the past and I've had clients and I've seen other people use this as an excuse or a crutch or almost like an out for not having to do what they said they wanted to do or maybe they're being challenged to do it. And like I shared in my last episode, I've been having some of those like, oh shit, (laughs) thoughts about my big scary goal. And some of them, they do fall into this category of like, 
well, I've never done this before. So how do I know if I can even do it in the first place? I mean, the real quick answer is I don't. But also, how do I get myself there if I've never done it before? AKA, like, what's the roadmap? And this is a question that I ask myself all the time. What's the roadmap to where I want to go if I've never done it before? And the way that I like to think about this and work through this problem is to just break it down in reverse, going from what you want to achieve backwards to where you are now. And if you go this way, it makes it much easier to see the next logical step or milestone that you should aim for and that like paves the way for you. So real quick, as an example, when I was trying to figure out like my first hundred miles, like how I was going to do that. I I had never gone that far ever before. So I had no concept of what it was going to take. I figured that if I wanted to go a hundred miles, that I should probably be able to do two to three really big back to back running days. And that's what led me to doing the Ragged 75, that three day stage race. And if I was going to do that, then I needed to be able to do like a really solid 50K with a lot of elevation change because that's one of the main features of that race. And if I was going to do that, then I needed to get really good at the hills and, you know, so on and so forth from there. So I just worked my way backwards and that's how I ended up with a training plan. And then I, you know, I obviously filled in the holes with the actual runs, the work, the the strength workouts, the mobility work, but that's how I ended up with my roadmap, my training plan. So this has me thinking like maybe I'll do an episode where I'm kind of breaking down my new goal and what the mile markers are going to be like for that. Because yeah, I mean, even though I've gone hundred miles before I had 30 hours to do it. And the last time I did it, I had, I think it was like an hour and a half left to spare and this time I'm going to shave four, four hours off of that. So it's kind of like a whole new ball game, like the mile markers, the, the guideposts, the, the steps that I'm going to have to take are going to be a little bit different. So it might be worthwhile kind of breaking that down. But I just kind of wanted to leave you thinking about this idea of trying new things and aiming for goals that you have quite literally no idea if you can achieve and you know not letting I don't know be the crutch that holds you back from like some really epic shit you guys (laughs) like I've you know like this is kind of what we're diving into here you know don't let I don't know or that fear of choosing a big scary goal holds you back from actually doing it. You might fail, but then the flip side is you might also really kick ass. So, you know, don't always let failure be the number one thing. Like I've talked about that before and that that used to be how my brain worked. I would think of a big scary goal and then I would think like I have no idea how I'm going to do it and then I would come up with all the reasons why or how I was going to fail instead of doing what I kind of just outlined, picking that big scary goal and then working my way 
backwards to where I am now. So try that one on for size. And if you enjoyed this episode, let me know over on Instagram at findyourultra, or you can hit me up via email at megan at megan-gould.com. That's Megan with an H, M-E-G-H-A-N. And I just wanted to kind of give a shout out to a few of the listeners that have reached out over the last few weeks to say hi and share their stories. So what's up to Amanda and Molly and Chris and Todd and Sarah? Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your goals, your thoughts about the show and running. Seriously, you guys, I love hearing what you're all up to. So don't be afraid. Hit me up and I definitely write back. (laughs) Um, And you never know, you might just get a shout out on the podcast. So Uh, One other really quick shout out to Molly because she's really digging this new beat. So Molly, this one's for you. Enjoy this beat and I'll see you all soon. 